Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 23. Frosty Reception. Don't do it, Jenny said, looking at number eight's finger hovering near the switch. People will be killed, and all for what? A treasure that was never yours? I told you, that treasure belonged to my family, number eight shouted wildly. I'm destroying what is rightfully mine. You don't need to destroy it, James said carefully. The prince is taking it back where it came from. Your family will have it soon enough. That is a lie, the girl spat. He's taking it to my enemies. Better that it gets buried under ten thousand tons of chalk. Two crows silently drifted upwards on a draught from below the cliffs. They hovered ten feet above the children and nodded at number eight. She shifted the switch between her hands. The treasure is now aboard the yacht, she said, and I can destroy it forever. Wait, Jenny cried. The key to the air isn't even in the yacht. We have it here. That feather was useless, number eight said. It didn't work as it should. It's nothing to me. You didn't have all of it, James said quickly, working with Jenny to buy them some time. There's a silver nib too. You need both of them for the key to work. I have the nib and the feather in my bag. We can trade. The key to the air for the switch. The expression changed on number eight's face, from anger to something even more unpleasant. Show me what you believe is the key to the air, she said, but your failure will be the end of us all. James looked round and Jenny nodded. Way out to the west, the sun was just touching the horizon, covering the surface of the sea with a golden orange light. He hoped that they weren't too far away for this to work. The feather and the nib were in Elf's box. He opened his bag and put his hands inside and brought out the two parts to the key for number eight to see. He pushed them together to form the quill and held it up. The key to the air for the switch, he said, holding out the quill and walking slowly toward number eight. He suddenly felt very exposed. The girl was not to be trusted. She looked like something out of a fairy tale, standing up on the cliff with two crows hovering just above her shoulders. But he needed to get the switch away from her. With every step, he wondered if the ground beneath him would fall away, if number eight would just kill them all out of spite. Stop! I don't believe you, she said when he was almost an arm's length away. It's a trick. Show me that it is truly the key to the air. And if you try anything stupid... I'll send this cliff onto the marina and all of us with it. James still had the crumpled copy of the Chinese symbol from number eight's room in his coat pocket. And he had the ink cartridge in his bag too. And in that instant, he felt the electric spark of an idea. I need to get some paper and ink out of my bag, he said, to show you. Number eight nodded. James tucked the quill into his hat and dug around in his bag with both hands for the cartridge, along with his wire clippers, to snip the top off. He carefully cut the top off the little plastic cartridge, then, holding the cartridge and the cutters in his left hand, took the quill from his hat 
and squeezed a drop of ink onto the brush end of the feather. Number eight watched with a mixture of fascination and disgust. With the quill ready, he dropped the cartridge on the grass and held the scrap of paper flat on the wire cutters with his thumb. This was it. Either he was right, and the quill really was the key to the air, or he was wrong, and his fate and Jenny's too were in the hands of a mad girl with a death switch in her grasp. He remembered the sensation of trying to write the symbol in the computer room at Patcham. This time he must be fast and accurate. He took a breath, thought about all the strokes and movements for each line, and readied the quill in his hand. Then, in four quick strokes, he drew the Chinese symbol for home. You have written Chinese before, number eight said calmly. Your strokes are well practised. James couldn't reply. The feeling of weightlessness was seeping out of the quill and into him. It was all he could do to hold out the quill for number eight. She didn't reach for it, but stared at the space between them, transfixed. The sun was almost below the horizon now, the orange-pink glow reflected in the shining dark eyes of the hovering crows, and from the very tip of the silver nib. And then James saw it too. A rectangular hole in the air itself, small at first but growing smoothly, the pale light within standing out against the now dark green of the grass. Give me the switch, and the key to the air is yours, James managed to say, desperately concentrating on holding the quill steady in his right hand. Quill first, she said, then I'll drop the switch. The gap in the air had grown. It was a horizontal window or more like a door. Through it, James could see white clouds and snow-capped mountains far below. It was like looking out of an aeroplane window, flying high above the Alps in winter. The feeling of weightlessness soaked from the quill and coursed through his body all the way to his toes. Rather than squashing the grass beneath his shoes, he was now standing on top of the blades themselves. At any moment, he felt sure that he would start to fly. It was incredible, mesmerising. And in that second, one of the crows made its move. James! Jenny cried out as the crow dived for the quill. He tried to pull his hand back, but it was too late. The crow had the quill in its beak, and then it was in number eight's hand. James felt the weight return to his body, and his feet bumped back down into the grass. You foolish children, she cried. You have brought me the key to the air, as I knew you would. Now you will perish, while I soar like an eagle, back to my family in victory. The door in the air had stopped growing. It was now the size of a child's paddling pool, a picture of a cold, beautiful place, floating at knee level between James and number eight. He knew that she was now feeling that same strange weightlessness radiating from the quill. Number eight stepped into the air door and hovered magically above the void below, still connected to Brighton and the grassy cliff by the wire from the switch. She was a human kite, returning home with the key to the air. James heard a faint whistling sound above and knew that it was now or never. This was it. He dived over the air door, focusing only on the thin wire that could bring the cliff tumbling down. 
At the same time, a grey blur flashed past his head, a curved-beaked missile aimed at the quill held by number eight. James's left hand thrust out with the wire cutters held open and ready to cut. They snagged on the trailing wire. He squeezed hard and snipped it clean. From the corner of his eye, he saw the flash of the peregrine's talons stretched out toward the quill. He hit the ground by the molehill, his legs dangling over the air door behind him. An icy wind from the void tore at his trousers. Rolling onto his back, he quickly pulled his knees up to his chest and saw new frost sparkling on his shoes. Jenny was running hard towards him, and the falcon had the quill in its yellow talons, wings out, breaking hard from its subsonic dive. Without the quill, number eight's weight had returned to her. She screamed and tried to step back to the solid clifftop, but her foot did not make it, kicking against thin air instead. James whipped round and grabbed for her hand as she fell past him and into the air door. He caught her by her wrist, but she was already falling too fast, and her weight yanked him hard across the wet grass. He couldn't stop himself. He was being dragged into the void by the girl. His free hand clawed the ground behind him for a handhold, but there was nothing. And then he was loose, free-falling in the icy wind. Gotcha! Jenny's voice came from the clifftop, and he felt her extra-strong grip clasp round his hand. But who's got you? he tried to say, the words taken from him by the utter bitterness of the piercing blast. He could feel his grip on number eight fading as a stream of high-altitude air whipped through his clothes as if they were made of tissue paper. And the door. He was sure it was getting smaller, closing in on them. He looked down at the girl below, being buffeted by the blasting winds. "'You're too heavy!' Jenny shouted. "'I can't hold you both!' "'The quill!' James cried, his face numb and his eyes shut tight against the wind. "'Get the quill!' He heard Jenny call for the quill. The cold had already formed a hard frost on his clothes and hair. He was finding it hard to breathe. He couldn't feel anything any more, apart from ice all the way to his core. There was a sudden pull on his arm, and he thought it might snap like a frozen blade of grass. But the next thing he knew, he was lying flat on the clifftop. He cracked open an eye and saw the sky door vanishing into a single point of light like a tiny star. Jenny was on her back next to him, breathing hard. The peregrine falcon landed where the door had been. Well, that was more exciting than babysitting pigeons, it said. Next time, I suggest that you don't give the key to the air to a mad, angry girl. You'll be pleased to know that it's back in your bag. Now please take better care of it. James forced a tiny nod. See you around, maybe, the bird said, taking to the air and disappearing over the side of the cliff, leaving the two children alone again. Thanks, James said quietly, frost breaking on his lips. You're welcome, Jenny said. Next time, don't throw yourself into freezing holes in the air. James groaned. He was shivering, and his teeth started chattering uncontrollably. I had to try, he managed. Did she make it? A gust of wind took her, Jenny said, her voice breaking as she spoke. And I pulled you out. After that, the door closed. I couldn't hold both of you. I just couldn't. James was too cold to think straight. 
She's home at least. He heard Jenny crying, and he managed to move an arm awkwardly around her for an icy embrace. They lay there for a moment, him shivering and her sobbing. It seems, a voice cut through the silence, like I may have been mistaken about you two. James squinted through his frosty eyelashes. It was Merlina. Beside the raven stood a smaller bird, the chairman, looking dishevelled with its feathers more than a little ruffled. I managed to pry the full story out of this... this crow. That last word almost stuck in the raven's crop. It seems that the crows were working closely with the girl. They helped her every step of the way. I thought I would arrive here too late, but gladly I am in time to clear things up. First things first, we need to get you two somewhere safe, warm and comfortable. Not a bad idea, James thought, especially the warm part. Not a bad idea at all.